The king was tongue-tied by all the impossibilities she expected him to overleap. He was barely twelve years old, and looked younger than he was, and in some ways thought still younger than he looked. He was aware, all too aware, of these deficiencies. "'You know his name, my brother's name?' "'His name?' the king cried in horror. "'Then you do know it. Say it aloud. Say it to many people. Say he must come to help Ambrosia. His sister is in danger. By then I will be, you know.' The king simply stared at her, aghast. He has a way of knowing when people say his name. The king's grandmother, the Lady Ambrosia, continued calmly. That much of the legend is true, but more is false. Don't be afraid. Say the name aloud. You are in no danger from him. He is your kinsman. He will protect you from your enemies, as I have done. From the far end of the corridor echoed the sound of axes on wood. I had hoped to go with you, his grandmother continued evenly. But that will not be possible now. You will have to find someone else to help you. I wish you luck. But remember, if you do not find my brother, I will surely die. Your Lord Protector Erdovan will see to it. You don't wish that, do you? No, the king said. And that, too, was a lie. It would be a relief to know he had failed grandmother for the last time. Go then, save yourself, and me as well. Find— Knowing she was about to say the accursed name, her damned brother's name, he covered his ears and ran past her, skittering down the broad stone steps beyond. He passed the corpse of the fallen soldier. He kept on running. By the time the light filtering from the top of the stairway failed, he could see a faint yellowish light gleaming below him. When he reached the foot of the stair, he found a lit lamp set on the lowest step. His feelings on reaching the lamp were strong, almost stronger than he was. He knew that his grandmother had set it here to give him not only light, but hope. It was a sign she had been here, that she had made the place safe for him, that he need not be afraid. As he lifted the lamp, he felt an uprush of strength. He almost felt he could do the task his grandmother had set him. He swore in his heart he would succeed, that he would not fail her this time. Choosing a direction at random, he walked along the tunnel to its end. There he found a flight of shallow stairs leading upward. He climbed them tentatively, holding the lamp high. At the top of the stairs was a small bare room with one door. The king turned the handle and looked out. Outside was a city street. It was long after dark, and wagon traffic was thick in the streets, in preparation for the next day's market. Cartage into the city was forbidden during the day to prevent traffic jams. The king closed the door and sat down on the floor next to his guttering lamp. But presently it occurred to him that sooner or later the protector's men would discover the tunnel and draw the obvious conclusion. No matter how dangerous the city was at night, he had heard it was. He had never set foot in the city unattended, day or night. He knew he should leave this place. He stood impulsively and, leaving the lamp behind him, stepped out into the street. Night to the king meant a dark room and the slow steps of sentries in the hallway outside. Night was an empty window case, a breath of cold air, 
the three moons, wrapped in a smattering of dim stars, peering through his windows, and the sullen, smoky glow of Ontil, the imperial city, to the east. Night was quiet, and the kind of fear that comes with quiet, the fear of stealth, the poison cup, the strangler's rope, the assassin's knife. This night was different. A chorus of shouting voices, the roar of wooden wheels on the cobbled street, the startled cries of cart horses. It was like a parody of a court procession, with the peasants in their high carts moving in stately progress, when they moved at all. The king, who had never been in a traffic jam, though he had caused many, wondered why they were moving so slowly, when they were all so obviously impatient.